Welcome to Career and Leadership Real Talk, the no-nonsense guide for ambitious managers who want to have more impact and progress their career. I'm Pamela Langan, a job search coach and expert CV writer specialising in helping frustrated professionals land the jobs and pay rises they know they deserve. And I'm Jackie Jagger, a leadership and mindset coach specialising in helping newly promoted and new to role leaders to avoid the dickhead trap and lead with confidence. Between us, we've helped hundreds of leaders and managers to find new roles, take ownership of their careers, and handle the challenges that job searches and leadership responsibility inevitably bring. And now we're joining forces to share with you what we know has worked for our clients. Hello and welcome to this week's episode. We've got another career clinic episode as part of our summer mini series, and we've got two questions that have come up recently. So we're going to get straight into them. And this is a great one for you, Jackie, this first question. So this one is about how to handle it when toxic colleagues are allowed to thrive. So this person is being leaned on for support because of someone else's bad behavior. And people are asking them or expecting them to join meetings and calls to support with this person because the behaviors that they're displaying are are upsetting a whole range of people. So what would you do in this situation or what advice would you give to somebody on how to handle this kind of situation? And yeah, this is a situation that unfortunately is not necessarily unusual. So I think this is one of the consequences where there is poor leadership is if people are allowed to continue to do things that are having these negative consequences through the business. So first and foremost, this is a leadership responsibility to resolve this. And I think as an individual who's being impacted, but not as the leader, the real key thing here is about protecting yourself, your sanity, your well-being. Because I think very often, if you're a nice person in this, you do want to support your colleagues. You do want to try and smooth things over. You do want to make things work. And what can often happen when you're trying to do that is you do that at cost to yourself. If you're having to be invited to meetings that you wouldn't otherwise be invited to, just to try and referee between people or keep things calm or because that person doesn't feel comfortable to have a one-on-one meeting with the other person, that is draining time and energy and resource that you could be spending on other things. So you shouldn't need to go to meetings that you have no reason to participate in just to keep things calm or smooth troubled waters. So I think it's, it is that boundaries piece. It's, and we'll link back to the episode on um, how to create good boundaries is part of the show notes, but it's about creating those boundaries and understanding that you are responsible for yourself and for maintaining yourself. There's a degree to which you might want to offer support to other people, But it's about making sure you do that in a way that isn't at cost to you. If you're being invited to a meeting that you don't need to go to, generally, whether that person's toxic or not, I would always say decline. If there is no reason for you to be at the meeting, then decline that meeting request. If people coming to you and gossiping about situations and talking about what's been going on, then you don't have to listen and you don't have to try and solve that for someone. And I think that 
often is one of the things that is a real drain when there's toxic people or toxic behaviors being allowed to happen is that it creates gossip. It creates that kind of conversation. And I know I've been in that situation where I've had to be mindful that there's times where I've just had to say, actually, I'm not going to get into conversation about that, or I'm not going to get into conversation about that with that person because that, creates a negative spiral for me it focuses my attention on things that are not helpful it drains my energy and it it just doesn't help so I think boundaries is really key I also think the dynamics are interesting in relationships when you've got people that are displaying toxic behaviors so very often I think that temptation is to try and be the person to smooth things over and to keep things on an even keel And actually, that often is counterproductive because people who are toxic will often then see that as a sign that if you're giving ground, if you like, to them, they will see that as a sign that they're right. They will see that as a sign that they're superior to you, their ideas are better than yours. And so what I would always say as well is learn to communicate in a way that is assertive, but not emotive. So you don't have to argue with people. You don't have to tell them they're wrong, but you also don't have to try and pander or deal with them in a way where you're trying to be nice to them because very often that will be counterproductive and they will take that as evidence that their behavior is okay and that people are pandering to them will feel like, yeah, I was right all along. Yeah, it's a hard one, that, isn't it? Because I think as well, sometimes you can get drawn in to dealing with those kinds of people and it can feel um you know at the start where someone says can you come and support me in this meeting because this person is not very well behaved shall we say in a meeting can you come and support me and it can feel good can't it like when you when somebody's like can you come and help me because you're the best person to handle them or you're the best person to help me deal with this and it can be so easy and you can get drawn in so quickly can't you without realizing it because then next minute, everybody wants you to support them with this person. So rather than everybody taking a proactive approach and putting some boundaries in place and being more assertive with that person, what starts to happen is then your time is affected. And, you know, at at the start, it feels good because you want to support these people and it feels good that they want you to support them. But then quite quickly, that can get out of control, can't it? And you just end up wrapped up in in a situation that's not your issue to deal with I mean if you're the leader then maybe it's your responsibility to to pull that person into line but it just depends how you're being pulled into that and it's just being aware isn't it that is it really what you need to deal with or are you just being drawn in and I suppose it's a good question to ask for every meeting that you're invited to do I need to be here? What is going to be my contribution? Do they need me? Or is this just something that I'm just being added on to for the sake of it? And it does come back to that boundaries, doesn't it? It really does. And I think you make a really important point because the other thing that happens when, certainly this has been my experience, when people ask me to help, I get a buzz from that. I feel good about the fact that this person sees me as someone that can help them in this situation. So it feeds the ego a little bit when people come to you and see you as someone that can help them. And I think that for me also then can sucker you in quite quickly because not only do you do it because you want to be nice to the person that's asked you, but it also 
gives you a bit of a buzz to feel like, oh, that's really good that someone sees me as someone who can help with this situation. So yeah, I think absolutely ask yourself that question and definitely go back if this is a thing that happens to you in the workplace where you get pulled in. And I think it happens not necessarily just with toxic colleagues, but also there's lots of other ways that people end up being pulled into supporting colleagues that feels good to start with, but then can be at your own detriment. And I think if that's the kind of thing that does happen, then definitely go back to that episode on boundaries because finding the way to establish those and to maintain them doesn't mean that you have to turn your back on people and never support anybody. It's just about knowing and doing that in a way that feels right for you, that allows you to have enough energy and focus on your own role and what you need to achieve as opposed to being a support. And like you say, sometimes if you offer a lot of support to someone, then you become their rescuer as opposed to them taking responsibility for being proactive and resolving things for themselves. So I think sometimes the best thing you can do to support is exactly that. It's to encourage that other person to look at what support do they need? How can they take responsibility for making that happen themselves in a different way? So you don't just turn your back on them. You help them to create the right solution for them in another way. Yeah. And I think that is the key, isn't it? Creating that right solution in a way that works. You're not getting drawn in, but it could be an opportunity to develop one of your team members in order to deal with that person, which then strengthens your team. So you're getting drawn in a different way, but it's a more positive way, one that's going to drive your team forward. And I think some of it in where it's about toxic behaviors, sometimes what that is, is about if nobody speaks up, and everybody tries to resolve it, it's very easy that at a leadership level, people don't really fully appreciate the consequences until people start leaving. And that I kind of love and hate in equal measure, that saying that people don't leave companies, they leave bad bosses. You know, I've definitely left companies. I've definitely left jobs for reasons that are not to do with my boss. So I don't think it's true all the time, but certainly there are a lot of situations where people leave and had leadership have been stronger, had things have been tackled, those types of scenarios, then they wouldn't have felt the need to leave. And I think sometimes people only speak up by jumping and making that move. And sometimes it's about encouraging other people to speak up and have some of that honest conversation with their line manager about the impact of the behaviors and how they feel and what's happening. Because if that person is hearing it directly from a number of people, A, they may not have the perspective and they may not recognize what's going on without someone explicitly saying it. But B, they might not realize the degree to which it's having an impact. And actually, there are also times where as a manager, you will know that things are going on and you might be tackling it and it's not appropriate for you to be speaking to other people about how much you're tackling or what you're doing to tackle it so you might be having conversations and sometimes it's having that feedback and being able to tackle it more proactively because you've now got more evidence of the the impact so i think sometimes that can be the best thing is to encourage other people to have that conversation 
rather than you get drawn into trying to help them to resolve the situation on a peer level, sometimes it does have to be escalated. Yeah, definitely. And I suppose you just have to deal with each situation as it arises and just see what is going to work best for you and your team at that particular time. So the next question that we've got, which is another juicy one. So I'm in my probation period and I've been told I'm going to be put on a PIP. What can I do? This is where we've just both roll our eyes, isn't it? Because I, I really dislike PIPs as a way of managing people. Yeah, PIPs to me. So for, for anyone who's not familiar with the lingo, a PIP is a personal improvement plan, which is generally part of a company's formal performance management. So unlike a personal development plan, which tends to be focused on helping you with your professional development, an improvement plan is essentially a formalized way of saying you're not meeting expectations. And I completely agree. They are generally counterproductive. It's not to say that there isn't a place, but I think very often they get flung out and they get put into place when they're not the best way to achieve the outcome of improving somebody's performance. This question came up and this was a conversation I had just the other day. And what became very evident with this scenario is if you're being put on a probation period a PIP within your probation period, I would say there's probably, in all honesty, a good 90% chance that a decision has already in the background been taken that potentially, at least, you are not going to pass your probation. So it's somebody kind of ticking boxes normally to say this is the process we have to go through even if it's in probation period. Now, when you're in your probation period, talking about UK employment law here, unless you can show that you've been discriminated against on the basis of a protected characteristic, then you pretty much don't have any employment rights within the first two years. People generally know that this is the case and they generally feel an element of vulnerability during a probation period. Putting somebody on a PIP when they are already feeling that they are needing to prove themselves and we've talked before about how when you're under scrutiny and when you're trying to prove yourself, that can be quite a dangerous position. So we'll link to that note, that episode in the show notes as well. But this for me is a case of if you are being put on a PIP in your probation, then I would say, first and foremost, assume that decision is probably predetermined. And therefore, you've pretty much got two choices. You can fight for the job, if you particularly love the job, if you feel like everything was going swimmingly until that point and you feel like you could make a real go of it, generally the route I would take is the other option, which is to say, do you know what, if this is the way that you treat people here, actually, even if the job's great, I'm probably not going to love it working here longer term and start to look for something else. And I think the thing that stops people doing that is often that fear of I'm only three, four months in. And I'm worried that how's this going to look if I've only got quite a short time period in this role. There's always ways to communicate that at an interview. There's always ways around it. So don't let that kind of paralyze you with fear and feel like you've got to focus on this PIP and on delivering what's being asked of you as part of the PIP. I would say absolutely you can stand your ground and you can try and meet the objectives within the PIP. But 
most often, I would say, the most productive solution in this kind of scenario, for whatever reason that this and, and the conversation that I had with this particular person, what it sounded like is that there was a personality clash. So it sounded that it actually wasn't about performance, but the PIP had been bought in because there was a personality clash in the background and therefore as a way to tick the boxes to be able to show, oh, we've done everything by the book, the manager had established a PIP. A PIP is not the best way to, to approach it. And if you are on the receiving end, then I think it's about looking for those other opportunities. Yeah, definitely. I always think if a manager or a leader needs to put a new starter on a PIP in the probation period, then I'd seriously question their leadership and management ability. If that was coming through to me as a senior leader and my team were putting their new starters on PIPs, I'd be seriously questioning their effectiveness in their role. Because as you say, you're in that development phase. What is a PIP going to do? And if it is just to tick a box, you there's better ways to do that. Because when you put somebody on a PIP, you put so much pressure on them. And it's quite demoralizing to be on a PIP because then you start questioning yourself and you're under that much pressure then to perform. And a lot of the time in, in my experience and my clients' experiences, when people um, or when leaders put people on a PIP, it's very rare that they can articulate exactly what good looks like or what you, what you need to do in order to like tick the box in this particular area. And the, a lot of it is always centered around behaviors and things like that, things that are really quite difficult to demonstrate in a short period of time or to demonstrate that you can tick those boxes. So for me, like that would be a massive red flag. And in terms of what you can do, it's get into job search mode. You've just secured that role. So you know, you're employable. So it's time to move on and don't worry about having a short, you know, term role on your CV. As you say, there's always ways around that, but just know that at this stage you are very employable because you've just secured this role. So there's no reason why you can't rinse and repeat what you've just done and get yourself into a role that suits you better. Yeah. And I think that's a really important point that you make about as a manager, if you're putting someone on a pit partway through their probation, you need to be looking in the mirror. You need to be thinking, have I done the relevant training, induction, onboarding? Have I supported this person to be able to perform? Because really, that is an absolutely a reflection on you and on whether you have supported them to be able to perform to the degree that is expected. There can be situations where you are recruiting, you feel like somebody's going to be brilliant. It feels, yes, can't wait for them to start. And then they start and then things just don't work out. But that's not a situation for a PIP. If that person has talked up their experience at interview and they actually don't have the capability that they seem to have, or if their attitude and their approach is completely wrong, if their values and behaviors don't align with your business, your team, your, what you expect of people, that's a different conversation. That's not a PIP. And yeah, it. I think it's just so important for people to have that self-reflection before you judge someone's performance is how have I set them up to be able to perform? And ask that question, because if you haven't, that's on you. And so many times from an HR perspective, 
I would have that where managers would come to me where somebody is in their probation period. And that was always my first question of what conversations have you had? What objectives have you set them? Where are they falling back? And like you say, people found it nigh on impossible to articulate. Very often it was that they just wanted someone to walk in and be able to do the job without having to have much direction. And that's not how it is. You've got to put the investment in to create the platform for someone to perform. And that's on you as a manager. Yes, it's on them to respond to that and to do what's needed, but you absolutely have to put the hard yards in and you have to think about how do you articulate what you expect? How do you train them? How do, do you let them shadow attend meetings? Do you, how do you encourage them to build the context and the learning and the knowledge to enable them to perform? And that's very sadly lacking in a lot of scenarios, but a PIP is not the answer. Yeah, totally agree with all of that. So thanks for listening to this week's episode. If you've enjoyed this episode, make sure that you um, rate and review on your chosen podcast platform. And if you think this would be useful for anybody, then please do share it with them and let us know if you need support with anything or if there's any topics you'd like us to cover on the podcast. And we will see you next week.